The Truth News Network. When you hear the White House spokesperson and you think, can we all go back to circle back, girl, now? You're looking at a problem. When a candidate for Supreme Court is asked, what is a woman? And the answer is, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. When she's in that chair answering that question precisely because she is a woman? How do you sort out that insanity? With the razor of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your coach for today is Dan Newman. Truth be known, there's really no way to sort that conundrum out. You'll never get an, a, a, a real answer if you ask anybody in government about that. Because you know what? When Democrats are in power, pretty much anything they want to say, any question they want to ask, it's okay. But when Republicans are at the forum and they are asking questions, if they didn't fit into the Democrats' narrative niche, oh my gosh, they pull their hair out. They scream and holler, racist, racism, racist, racism. They have these default excuses and ways to blame all of those people, those mega, MAGA people. You know them. They're disgusting. They're distasteful. And they need to be obliterated from the earth. Well, good morning, everybody. Are you having a good day? I know. The first day after an extended holiday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, a legitimately four-day weekend. And you went out and did some things and ate some food and you put on your clothes this morning and you said, OMG, I got to lose some weight. I ate too much. And if you're listening right now and you're not one of those people that actually said that, you're a liar. (laughs) We all we all splurge at uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas time. It's just kind of a way of life in the United States of America. We get these traditions that we all sign into just because we're Americans. And uh, we take them for granted many times. But I really did sit and count my blessings on Thanksgiving Day. We were with our entire family uh, and some extended family members. We have... Three daughters, excuse me, two daughters and a son. He would get really mad if he heard me say that. (laughs) Two daughters and a son. Our oldest daughter has four boys. Our youngest daughter has twin girls. And our son and his wife have no children. But everybody was there. And then we had in-laws. My uh, daughter's in-laws were there. My son's in-laws were there. It was really a cool time. And um, all four of our boys have gone through playing football and are playing football now the last two. So we had football buddies that also came over. So it was a big crowd, and I love it. I love it. I love having it at one of the daughter's homes because when it's over, I can go home and don't have to clean up. We formerly lived in my wife's dream house, a large house up on the lake, uh, multi-story. It was a big house, and it was way too big for us. Um, I won't even, I won't even tell you how big it was, but it was Marianne's dream house and we built it in about six months. in, she said, you know what? We need to think about downsizing. And I said, woman, hush, hush your mouth. Well, it's too big to clean. And I said, you don't even clean it. You have people that come clean it. 
So what are you fretting about? Well, it's ostentatious. It's just, and my wife, those of you who know her, you know, she never says ostentatious, but she did that time. And it probably was. But anyway, we lived in it for 13, 14 years, I guess 14 years. Let me see, 2000, about, yeah, about 14 years. And we finally downsized. And where we are now, I must tell you, it's in 2,000, a little over 2,000 square feet. And it's perfect. It's exactly what we need. Four bedrooms, a studio, and uh, a nice little big get-together area. Nice patio outside. Got a television outside on the patio. It's just perfect for two people and a few dogs. And that's another sad story. In the last six months, we've lost two dogs. Our kids joke about it, but our dogs all live for a long time. I'll give you an example. One of our dogs was, we found him on a uh, interstate. If you know anything about I-49 from Lafayette going north, we were coming home late on a Friday night from a football game. And there's an overpass there. At the top of the overpass, there was a big Labrador retriever that was laying in the door that uh, the road had just been hit. You could tell it. And standing beside it was a little bitty black poodle. And the poodle obviously was scared to death. The lab had already died from getting hit. They obviously, very obviously, were pets that got out. And so I screeched on my brakes and stopped. My wife went out to go see if she could get that little black poodle and get him off the road. And uh, he first ran from her, then he she whistled at him and knelt over, and he turned around and saw her and then just ran and jumped in her arms. We stopped at the next exit up to see if anybody knew who he was because he was groomed, and nobody knew, so we just took him home. We made him ours, little bitty guy. Uh, we got him fixed, and the vet said he was about two years old. Twenty years later, Murphy died. Twenty years later, we had a lasso opso that we got as a puppy. She lived to be 16. Cameron, our first uh, Jack Russell Terrier, lived to 17. And then our second Jack Russell Terrier, Harley, she died last week at 12. Excuse me, at 16. That's right. Uh, But three months ago, our first Little Yorkshire Terrier, Izzy, died at 12. So we have one puppy left, little Olivia. Olivia is now six years old. She's a Yorkshire Terrier. She weighs about four pounds. And since her two sisters have died, she claws to be with me everywhere I go. At this moment, I wish this was a video I could show you. On the front right of the console in the studio, She has a place and a good-sized cloth rag, cleaning rag that she loves. And I lay it up there, and about 30 minutes before the show starts, she comes in here, and she's ready to get up and get ready for the show. She will lay there the entire show, every day. Olivia, she's a regular. And I know many of you are. So you got all that diatribe for absolutely nothing. But I'm sure you have some Thanksgiving stories Uh, that you have some good thoughts about. Cherish those. 
You never get too many of those. Family is the best thing that we have. Anytime anything gets bad, turn to family members. They share the same feelings that you do, and maybe you can find some way to share with them and make them feel better about stuff they're going through. We have a family conundrum of sorts going on now. Marianne's mother, 97 years old. She fell last week, fractured a bone in her face, broke her hip, had surgery over the weekend. And if I sound a little bassy today, indirectly it's due to her because my wife, Marianne, and her older sister spent all, every I guess since Thanksgiving evening, um, in shifts over at the hospital with their mom. And so Marianne got, I don't know what she got. She got a cold. She got the flu. But, of course, she shares everything with me. And I'm okay. I just am bassy. I'm a a little stopped up. But I'm doing okay. But it makes me sound a little bit lower. Yeah, how low can you go? But anyway, we're going to be fine. You don't hear it, but every once in a while, I've already muted my microphone for a second so I could cough without blowing your mind because when I cough, all kinds of stuff is down there waiting to get out. (laughs) And that was gross. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We men, we do that. We do it maybe not as much as we're accused of doing it, but we do that. It's kind of like... Uh, a rite of passage when you become an adult male. You can scratch your belly, belch, and say things that are a little borderline every once in a while, and everybody says, Dan, but then they forget about it. You know, all through this holiday, just because you and I weren't really paying attention to things going on in the world, there were a lot of things going on in the world, and we need to get some of them out there for you. One of the things is Kansas Senator Roger Marshall, he recently dropped the bomb on the Biden administration. He has introduced a resolution that would block citizenship for any illegal immigrants that are dependent on taxpayer-funded benefits. Now, this is one step too short, in my opinion. Why, Dan? Well, the resolution doesn't, doesn't give a block stopping any illegal immigrant from becoming a United States citizen. No illegal immigrant should become a citizen of the United States. But anyway, maybe this is the first step. His resolution focuses on a new DHS rule that would cut the number of benefits immigrants can use that would be held against them when they apply for permanent residency in the U.S. In 2019, Trump administration defined any immigrant who had received one or more designated public benefits for more than a year within a 36-month period as a public charge. Section 212.4 of the Immigration and Nationality Act renders a non-citizen inadmissible if they are likely at any time to become a public charge. The Trump administration, they included things like food stamps, housing vouchers, Medicaid as benefits that would disqualify any immigrant from receiving a green card. Now, this is a confusing story because the senator, Senator Marshall, his resolution 
It stops any illegal immigrant, any illegal immigrant who has been dependent on taxpayer-funded benefits of becoming a citizenship. And then what you just heard, that section, is about green cards. That's not citizenship. That's temporary access to be legally in the United States. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. DHS's public charge rules that are proposed continue our country down the dangerous path of incentivizing migrants to illegally cross our southern border, granting citizenship to illegal aliens who would be dependent on federal benefits is a burden that American taxpayers and our national debt cannot afford. Now, you remember back in the Reagan administration, and this hacked a lot of people off when it occurred, but it hacked me off too. Reagan arbitrarily, he gave citizenship to millions of people. Just wave of the wand. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And no one person... I don't care who you are, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, any president should not arbitrarily make people residents legally, give them citizenship legally, any one of those two classes, going against the verbiage in U.S. federal immigration laws. If the laws need to be changed, change the laws. Well, Dan, we can't get uh, the Republicans. We can't even get them to come to the table for that. Well, guess what then? They're representing their constituents. Those are the thoughts of their constituents. That's the way the Constitution is supposed to work. You, as Democrats, are supposed to get with those other evil Republicans and find consensus to change the law. If you don't get consensus, that means their people, who at this particular point would be in the majority, their people don't want to give citizenship to illegals that came here regardless of anything. And of course, the reason they are being pushed, these illegals, to come on, come on, come on, by Democrats, they remember what Ronald Reagan did. They feel at some part, they're going to have the ability to themselves alone or have enough support from a, a group of Republicans to get citizenship granted to these illegals. I can tell you that would be a huge killer for this American. Why is that? I personally know I don't have any in my family, immediate family, but I've had numerous employees that work for me that were immigrants and they're really good, hardworking people. After they struggled to get the language learned, they become amazing employees, but they went through the process to get here and get citizenship legally. Anything worth having is worth hurting for. That's a song that my brother wrote years ago, but it's true in this scenario. If it's good enough to have, it's good enough to be hurt to get. That includes citizenship, going through the process, learning the things they are supposed to learn, doing the things they're supposed to do, and taking tests to get legal entry into the U.S. and to become citizens. 
if you aren't willing to do that, dadgummit, you're not willing to be here. It's not a very big price to pay. There's great benefits on the other side of that. If you want it, hurt a little bit for it. But follow immigration laws. And you lawmakers out there, any of you that are listening in, and we have several I know that monitor our show, if you're listening in today, tell your representative, if you're an aide that are monitoring the show, tell them, we feel strongly legal immigration only. No illegals getting citizenship. If they want citizenship, they go back to their home country where they came from, apply for entry into the United States, go through the immigration process here, and then apply for citizenship. If you've done all of it the right way, you get it. If you didn't do it all, you go back to where you came from, period. You know why? It's the law. Nobody. They tell us all the time, do Democrats, nobody's above the law, and then they expect us to let them do anything and everything they want to above the law. And here's another one. Assault weapons ban. Joe Biden's out there. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to ban the, I'm going to ban those assault weapons. Well, if he banned assault weapons, he would only be banning weapons used by the military because they're the only ones that have assault weapons here unless they're criminals. Legal Americans, it's virtually impossible to own what he calls an assault weapon. He talks all the time about this, and he uses that term, and he's been told again and again the difference between a semi-automatic gun and an assault weapon. But assault, the term, it just salivates Democrats' minds and thoughts when they hear it. It makes them think how bad any weapon's going to be, especially an assault weapon. We've got to ban those things. If you're new to the show, an assault weapon is an M4. It's just like an AR-15, but it's fully automatic. There's actually a switch that you can flip it from semi-automatic to fully automatic. You can't get those unless you're in the military or you're in a police force and they use them only for drastic measures when there's really a big deal going on. They give them out then to be used. The difference is this, a AR-15, it's a semi-automatic. Here's how it works. There's a, a clip on it. It's called a magazine legally. A lot of people call it a clip. But that clip or magazine has 7, 9, 10, 12 shells in it. There's one shell in the chamber. When you pull the trigger one time, one bullet fires. You let go of the trigger Another bullet goes up into the chamber. You pull the trigger and it fires. An AR-15, that's the way it works. An M4, which is the same gun in the military format, if you've got 15 shells in a clip, a magazine, and you pull the trigger and hold it, all 15 will shoot in rapid succession. Just bam, 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 bam. You don't have to let go of the trigger. You don't have to wait for it to put another bullet up in the chamber to be shot. It's automatic. That is an assault weapon. 
But now even one very prominent senator has popped Joe Biden's hopes to get an assault weapons ban. Chris Murphy from Connecticut, very, very far-left senator. He argued that the votes for a bill like this are not there for Democrats, despite the president's push to do this ban in the wake of a bunch of shootings in recent weeks. You know the one thing that bothers me about these shootings that they tell us about? Every one of them. Every one of them, it's got to be one of those evil assault weapons. They do not report to the American people after these mass shootings happen what the gun type was. Have you noticed that? Mainstream media never brings it up. And the press doesn't ask. You wonder about that? I do all the time. I only come to one logical conclusion. They don't want the American people to know what type of gun it is. Because if they did, they wouldn't support even conversations about these so-called assault weapon bans that they're pushing. Murphy said, I'm glad that President Biden is going to be pushing us to take a vote on an assault weapons ban. The House has already passed it. It's sitting in front of the Senate. Does it have 60 votes in the Senate right now? Probably not. But let's see if we can try to get that number close to 60 as possible. If we don't have the votes, then we'll talk to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, maybe come back next year with maybe an additional senator and see if we can do better, he added. Biden first called for that weapons, assault weapons ban after the shooting at the Club Q nightclub in Colorado earlier this month. The suspect in that case, who described himself as non-binary, is accused of using an AR-15-style rifle to murder five people at the LGBTQ nightclub. Gun violence continues to have a devastating and particular impact on the LGBTQI plus communities across our nation, and threats of violence are increasing. We saw it six years ago in Orlando when our nation suffered the deadliest attack affecting the LGBTQI plus community in American history. We must address the public health epidemic of gun violence in all of its forms. Earlier this year, I signed the most significant gun safety law in nearly three decades, in addition to taking other historic actions. But we must do more. We need to enact an assault weapons ban to get weapons of war off America's streets. He repeated his push on Thanksgiving. Though... It appeared to conflate assault weapons with all semi-automatic weapons, which make up a large swath of rifle, handgun, and shotgun purchases in the U.S. In fact, folks, estimates are there are one billion quote-unquote assault weapons using his definition, which it's not factual. Semiotic weapons, handguns, semiotic Matic handguns, the numbers dwarf any long rifles or what he calls weapons of war. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's trying to change the U.S. Constitution. Everybody knows if he does that or tries to get one passed, even if Congress passes it, 
It's going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has numerous times shot down all of those bills that come before them to be considered banning what he calls assault weapons. It's unconstitutional. And, of course, that's the reason why they are so hard pushing to get another couple of justices at the Supreme Court so they can ban not just assault weapons, their definitions of assault weapons, but all weapons. Why would they want to do that? Then the people can't do anything when they want to do something. You just have to sit down and shut up and listen to them. So I was talking at the beginning of the show about what you hear in my voice this morning. And uh, we think that it came from my wife who was up at the hospital with her mother during the Thanksgiving holiday quite a bit in the hospital. People that go there are sick. You know that. They don't go there if they're not sick. Anyway, she got this really, it's not the flu. We've been, we, we, we know it's not the flu. It's a upper respiratory situation. Got a little fever, you know, your, your sinuses are messed up, but it's really aggravating. But in that time when this is going on around the nation, you ask the questions, what is this? And of course, COVID-19 always comes up and Anthony Fauci being on the stage and talking about his retirement, making some last speeches. Everybody's thinking about COVID-19 again. So in a survey over the weekend, the economists found when they asked this question, taking into consideration both your risk of contracting it and the seriousness of the illness, how worried are you personally about experiencing COVID-19? The most, 59% said they are not very worried. And of course, those of those 30, uh, 27%, said they are not worried at all. 28% said they are somewhat worried, but just 13% that they are very worried. Democrats, on the other hand, are more worried than Republicans and independents, as 58% said they have concern compared to 38% of independents and 26% of Republicans who are at least somewhat worried. Most Republicans and independents, 73 overall and 60 respectively, are not very concerned or not worried about contracting the virus. Now, why is that? Americans are pretty smart, pretty savvy. And so what did we just live through? Two years of lockdown, misrepresentation, lying, fearful leadership on pretty much everything to do with coronavirus. It basically destroyed at least 25% of the U.S. economy at the hands of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Lockdowns, lockdowns, lockdowns. All of that, it never exists in a vacuum. It impacts every sector of American lives from top to bottom. And they did it, and most of them, you may not like this, what I say, you may disagree with it, But most of the people that were responsible for the lockdowns, they loved what they saw when Americans allowed themselves to be locked down. They used fear to lock us down. 
fear of getting this virus, and they painted it to be the worst virus in American history, which it wasn't, and it isn't. But they don't want to talk about that. Why would they think there's something good there? Well, it's real simple. Many politicians, now, I'm going to really piss off some people when I tell you what I'm going to say now. I have this, I guess through years of experience, I have this jaded view of people that are in law enforcement, people that are uh, umpires in baseball, football officials on the field, referees and umpires and headlinesmen, line judge, all of those people. I have a fundamental perspective that is not very good. And when I say a jaded view of law enforcement, I'm not speaking about every part of law enforcement. I'm speaking about specifically cops, people that are on the street carrying a badge, uh, carrying carrying a gun, and just working out in the city around people. And what is my opinion? I don't think it's a huge percentage, but I would guess somewhere between 10 and 20% of those that are referees, that are cops, and that are politicians. The fundamental reason they're doing it, or at least in the top five reasons they're doing it, is they want to have power over the people. Now, if you think it through, and you start watching in your community, in your circle, and you integrate with any of these people, you know what I'm talking about. There is, for a fact, some percentage, maybe not a big percentage, but some percentage, and my guess is 10 to 20%. So that means if that is their fundamental or top three of the reasons they're doing these jobs, then we can expect them to do just what they're doing these jobs to do, to gain some power or authority over other people. The substance of the work is secondary to that, and it should be exactly opposite, especially with politicians. Oh, my gosh, they take that oath of office, they call themselves public servants, and then when they get to Washington, D.C., they flip the narrative. They're not our servants They make us servants. You serve up everything they want and need, and they'll think about doing something, voting some way that you want them to vote, really representing their constituents. And it's gotten more and more obvious that that's one of the things that we're dealing with when we're dealing with those who, quote-unquote, represent us. Because if they go there for those reasons, they're not representing us. They're representing their fundamental perspective for wearing that badge or swearing that oath of office or taking that job. I'm serious, folks. There are some out there. Now, how do you handle this? You just watch and be careful. I'm not one that thinks that you've got to get handcuffed and thrown in a caboose just because you were being charged with a minor infraction and you think the person that arrested you or grabbed you or whatever, is doing it just because they want to have power over people. That's not why I'm telling you this. I'm not one that believes in that. I am one who believes in relying on and honoring those 
who are in power and authority over us, regardless of what their personal, emotional, or psychological reasons for getting that job. They have the job. They have the authority, and we're supposed to respect them. But pay attention for specifics. And if it gets to the point where specifics prove there's too much going on in this area, you need to very nicely bring it to the attention of those over these people. You want them to change? You got a bad, hardcore police force in your town? Nothing changes if nothing changes. And I would suggest that if and when it's appropriate, you draw those actions to the attention of those over these people that are actually playing this out. Give you an example in the LHSA, LHSAA, which is the Louisiana High School Athletic Association. They hire football officials. And those football officials, they scatter out all over the state. They make a promise they're going to abide by the rules that are adopted by this LHSAA regarding football games and operations. Sometimes in the heat of a game, they'll make a call that's not an opinion call, but it's a bad rule call. Those are the ones that are totally unacceptable. When it boils down to an opinion call, yeah, sometimes it's aggregating, aggravating. And when a, during a game, you watch the entirety of one football game or basketball or baseball or tennis game, softball, and you see the same umpire or referee making the same kind of calls that are so obvious and against some team that it it is so obvious, yeah, that needs to be reported and something needs to be done if it's being done habitually. Just pay attention to what's going on around you and react appropriately. If you don't change it, nothing's going to change overall. The overall process is not based on one little piece. It's based on a bunch of little pieces that make up a process. If you want that process to change, you got to make the little bitty pieces change. That's where we come in. That's our obligation. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. 
DesMoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month, the one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. Do you know the name Liz Peek? P-E-E-K. She's a longtime, well-thought-of, well-known person in uh, national news media. She works for ABC right now. And as uh, the Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago special counsel was appointed by um, uh, our Attorney General, Merrick Garland. A lot of Democrats are all excited. A lot of Republicans are saying, this is wicked, this is evil, this is just the Democrats clamping down on uh, Donald Trump to do everything they can to keep him out of office. Liz Peek this weekend appeared on an ABC show, and she had an interesting spin on it that I thought was a little different. Listen to her explanation of this. I now want to take a look at this headline, if we can. Garland's special counsel appointment has Trump 2024 in mind, but it's not what you think. Liz Peek wrote that, and she joins us now this morning. Great to see you, Liz. Um, you morning, basically Ashley. argue that, uh, yes, good morning. You argue that this will help Trump become the GOP nominee in 2024, And this is what the Democrats want, right? I think it's totally what the Democrats want. They are expecting Joe Biden to Mm. run. And I firmly believe that the only candidate they feel Joe Biden can beat is Donald Trump. Why would a special prosecutor bring that possibility forward? Uh, Because Trump loves to play the victim card. And let's face it, a lot of Americans, including myself, feel that he has been unbelievably unfairly treated not just by the media, but by his Democrat opponents, by law enforcement, by the Department of Justice. Uh, Everybody seems to gang up on Donald Trump. And here again, we have a very stark reminder of that, Ashley, that the whole world is out to get him. And for the what I would call always Trumpers, the people who will always support him no matter what, this is just another sign that the world is arrayed against him, meaning that they need to support him. And I think you know, that's going to rev people up in the primaries and drive them to vote for Donald Trump. But you know what? The Democrats used that in the midterms, didn't they? They actually tried to promote those candidates on the GOP side who were, you know, Trumpers through and through on the theory that they could be beaten in the general. And to a large extent, they were proved right. This is just another example of that, right? Yeah, exactly. It worked in the midterms. They promoted candidates like Bolduck in New Hampshire uh, running against Maggie Hassan, the Democrat incumbent senator, who is eminently beatable 
knowing that he was not going to appeal to a broad swath of independents and moderate Republicans, guess what? It works. So if it works in a small situation, which is not small for the American people, right. but a small election like New Hampshire's senatorial race, why wouldn't it race? Why wouldn't it work also uh, in the broader election? I think they're very much hoping that Trump will be the candidate, a Trump versus Biden rematch. It's anybody's guess, really, how that turns out at this point. The polls slightly favor Joe Biden, but frankly, with a sort of doddering, older, not terribly uh, uh, successful president running against someone like Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor of Florida, who yes. just creamed his opponents, I think they worry about that. <laughs> Here we are, two years away from another election, one where there'll be a presidential candidate or two or three that we have to pick from. And we're already talking strategy. Here's the reason why. This is important for everybody to know. The reason why is Democrats are perpetually looking ahead and planning on not just the next election, but the one after that. They have a long-term game plan. They always have. And in many cases, it most of the time works for them. Republicans and other conservatives need to understand getting united is going to be critical throughout the remainder of American history, as long as it remains a representative Republican government. If that is obliterated, if the uh, far left or uh, being successful at getting rid of our representative Republican government, then it won't matter what anybody thinks. That little group up at the top, the ones that are running everything, will be the ones that will choose who's going to represent anybody, but always representing them in government going forward. We're not there. And if we'll start paying attention, really close attention, to what's going on in elections and who are involved in them and the actual election process, which is very, very nasty and needs to be changed dramatically, it cannot and should not be changed by the federal government. Individual states are absolutely, totally responsible for the election processes within their states. Those citizens in every state needs to get aggressive about watching the mechanisms of the elections in their states and holding those state election people that are running it all, hold them accountable and make sure your elections are fair and that the election results, the election counting is fair. So it always represents the voices of the voters instead of manipulating those results or the people in any way. And so the Democrats you just heard Liz Peake tell us, they want Donald Trump out there because what it will do, it will force the very conservative Republicans to support him in a primary, get him to be the candidate that runs against Joe Biden. They've already decided, according to her, that Biden's going to be the guy because there's nobody else out there that they can put into the race that could possibly win, especially if Donald Trump is the Republican candidate in the 2024 presidential election. Now, they don't know that. They don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but looking at who is out there right now, they're already making plans. They've got what-if plans like 
five or ten what-if plans. But that right now is the one that seems most realistic. And i got to be honest with you. When I hear that logic, it all makes sense to me. That really makes sense to me. I understand why they're doing that, don't you? Who else is out there right now? Nobody's out there right now. Well, you've got California's Governor Gavin Newsom. He has always, he's looking at the White House and lusting for it. He wants to be there because it is the highest point in politics in the nation. Remember what I talked to you about just a few minutes ago? A lot of people become politicians because they see it as an opportunity to be over others. What other spot in the nation is more powerful than that one? Whoever lives in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the most powerful position not just in the United States, but around the world, the U.S. president has always been known as being that person. Give you some stuff to think about. So watch. Put that in the back of your mind. Lodge it back there somewhere. And watch how Democrats act between now and 2024's election and see if that's not right. I think you'll find out it really is. They plan way ahead, and they obviously have got this plan as a possibility. I don't think they've moved it yet over to a probability mode, but at least right now that's a possibility. And so what do they do? They make plans so that if it happens, they've got plans already in place to counter it. Republican Party's never been good about that. They get caught all the time not thinking, not planning. And I think that comes from the top. And I'm not just talking about the RNC chairman. It's not just that spot. Republican leaders, they never seem to get together after elections and really pull for each other and work very closely one-on-one. Democrats always get that done. And I don't know why that is. But since I've been watching really closely watching elections since the late 60s, it seems that they're always that way. Republicans just seem to be at the end of the line when the race is over. They're at the back of the pack. And that's not something that just automatically happens. It happens because they're not making plans and executing plans far enough in advance so that when they find out for sure what the cornerstones of the election are going to be, that they got everything in place to take care of that. And they should. So back to Dr. Fauci and coronavirus. He seems to be in um, the news eye again now. And I guess this comes from the fact that he's announced he's going to retire. And so over the weekend, he was on a couple of shows, and he says, at least in one of those shows, he has a completely open mind about the origins of COVID-19. But he also says that the scientific evidence strongly suggests it was not leaked from a lab. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to give you the rest of this story. I want to stop right there. What he said. Now, this was a quote. He he has a completely open mind 
about the origins of COVID-19. But that the scientific evidence strongly suggests it was not leaked from a lab. There are so many opportunities to manipulate the verbiage in that sentence, that quotation, so that I think he's laying the foundation for that information to come forward that says it began in a lab, but it was not leaked. It was hijacked. Somebody took it. Somebody stole it from a lab and made it, manipulated it, its distribution, made it available so that it could be put out there around the world. If he's got that information, he's planning on releasing that information to make it very obvious he had no part in it. That's a possibility. I just talked about the possibilities in elections. I think when he comes forward, because in the past, he said over and over again, it did not get leaked from a lab. He never said it didn't come from a lab. All he's ever said is it was not leaked from a lab. He made the comments during his appearance Sunday on CBS's Face the Nation. Margaret Brennan was a host, and she asked him about China's transparency regarding the origins of COVID-19 and how the country's leading Chinese Communist Party was handling calls for investigation from around the globe. We keep a completely open mind as to what the origin is, Fauci said. Having said that, if you look at the examination by highly qualified international scientists with no political agendas, they've published a peer-reviewed journal that all accumulated evidence particularly related to the Chinese bringing into the Wuhan market animals from the wild that should have not been there, the evidence is quite strong that this is a natural occurrence. Does that mean we've ruled out there was something funny going on and let it leak? Absolutely not, he added. I and all of my colleagues keep an absolutely open mind. We've got to investigate every possibility because this is too important not to do that. That's not incompatible with saying the scientific evidence still weighs much more strongly that this is a natural occurrence. Now, what would be a natural occurrence? How would a Fauci describe that? If this virus ever showed up in animals and that animals were transmitting it, Fauci would say, see, I told you so. Science said that it was a natural occurrence. That would not say that it did not get leaked from the Wuhan lab. What it would say is it occurred naturally and what we got it from were animal transmissions 
It got in some animals over in China. They got infected, the Chinese people there in Wuhan, by these infected animals, and that's the way it happened naturally. He's left himself a way out. He went on to criticize China's lack of transparency about the origins, arguing that their refusal to cooperate invited suspicion when there may not have been any reason for it. He nevertheless fell short of accusing China of a cover-up. While Fauci is retiring at the top of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases next month, Republicans are sure to keep him on Capitol Hill with hearings. GOP lawmakers have called for investigations into Fauci's handling of the pandemic, as well as interactions with Chinese health authorities. Now, him before these committees answering questions. You're not going to get any dirt coming out of his his mouth. He's not going to say one thing that makes himself look bad in this. And if he ever, if he ever truthfully answered the questions that he's been asked dozens of times already, he would be implicating himself. He'll never do that. He'll go down fighting before he'll do that. And the only way he will ever be diminished, the only way the truth will probably ever come out is if somebody somewhere else gets squeezed hard enough by somebody in government, maybe not here, maybe not in China, but maybe in some foreign country over in Southeast Asia or even the Middle East, for that person to come forward and say, here's what really happened. I was part of the process. Unless that happens, we'll never know how it got loosed. (laughs) And Fauci's out there now. I I think Rand Paul wants him in front of the Senate committee Rand serves on. He wants him in front of that committee again. But Rand Paul, every time he asks Fauci the same kinds of questions, and Fauci blatantly laughing at Rand Paul, answers them the same way every time. It turns into name-calling, and they get no facts. You're not going to get facts when all you do is rail against each other. You go get the facts so that when they're in committee hearing, you can lay it in front of them, show them that you've caught them lying, and then rail against them for that. Look, they have no budget, these committees. They can spend whatever they need to find out and get evidence. Don't think for a second they couldn't dole a few dollars around out in Wuhan, China and get some answers, some truthful answers, and find out if and who was involved in creating and biologically increasing the danger of these viruses and let it go. We'll never know, probably. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well... It matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. 
at Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. It's Super Salmon Days down at Fish Brothers. For a limited time, bring in any fish and get a child salmon entree free. You heard right. Bring in any fish and get a free child salmon entree. And I mean any fish. Got a swordfish lying around? Bring it in. Got a goldfish you're sick of feeding? Bring it in. Got a fish that's been sitting in the sun for a few days? Bring it in. We'll throw it in with the rest of them. What we do with the fish is nobody's business but ours. Just enjoy your salmon $8.99 with our famous stew. So, welcome on into Fish Brothers Seafood themed restaurant where everything's a great catch. Except the shrimp. The poison of radio, dead air. I apologize if you weren't at the top of the show. You didn't hear me tell you that I am, uh, uh, the reason I sound like I have a small uh, domestic animal crawling around in my chest or throat is because I do (laughs) some kind of bug. And I had to run and get a glass of water to refill the one that I started the show with anyway. I'm okay. It sounds maybe a little bit worse than it is. Um, We spread it around in our family, extended family, over the weekend. And uh, there's not much we can do about it. It's not serious, but it's aggravating. You know those things you get? You get that sneeze thing and sometimes that cough thing, and you really can't get rid of it. It just hangs around and nags. That's the way it's been with me. And it, it, it just stops you from doing some of the things that you take for granted and do every day, like this show. Well, guess what? To do two hours on a show of any kind, anywhere, you got to have your pipes have got to be pretty well okay. And so I take them for granted. I feel like I can talk pretty much anytime. Now, I've lost my voice. If you were with us back in uh, February, actually, um, on ve- uh, Valentine's Day, Monday was Valentine's Day, and it's easy for me to remember Valentine's Day because that's my wedding date. Marianne and I got married in 1975 on Valentine's Day. So on Valentine's Day this year, our nephew, Des Duran, was performing a show, frankly, Des, and the premiere night in Nashville was that night. And so I gave a trip to Nashville to Marianne for our wedding anniversary and we were up there and we went up with some friends and lo and behold, they gave everybody that was with them COVID-19. Now, Marianne had had it once before, really tough time. She was sick for like three weeks. Um, While I was there, I got COVID-19 and I did this show two days while I was up there. I did it live from Nashville and I lost my voice during one show. I had to end the, the show before the two hour mark because I couldn't talk. That very seldom happens in my life, and there are people that wish it would happen more. But this one, it's just aggravating. So I apologize for you getting caught in that uh, dead air moment, because I just hate that. I just hate it. Dead air is just not a good thing. 
Well, have you kept up with what's going on in the uh, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker uh, runoff race? Next week, actually. Is it next week? Today's the 28th. Let me see. Let me just see. Let me just. Yeah, would be a week from tomorrow. Is going to be the runoff election for that Senate seat. Raphael Warnock is the incumbent. Herschel Walker, the football star, is his opponent. And it is really, really, really close. But Warnock, as the incumbent, he's got the edge. They always do. But Carl Rove, you know Carl Rove. He appears fairly regularly on Fox News, and he's got those whiteboards where he does the numbers. Well, he explained that just because Warnock is about three or four points ahead in the polls, it does not mean that he really is three or four points ahead in the poll. Let me let you listen to Carl Rove. Well, I think we're going to be mystified about this race right to the end because there's some unusual circumstances behind Mm -hmm. it. Take a look at this. 3,935,924 people voted in the Senate race. Raphael Warnick won it by 36,788 votes. That's less than 1%. Now, who are those people that gave him his victory? Well, another way of looking at it is to take a look at the difference between Kemp and Walker. There are 203,000 people who vote for Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, but don't vote for Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between their two vote totals. If you look at it, 52,151 of them are people who voted for Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, and the Libertarian for the U.S. Senate. Are those people likely to come back? If I were Raphael Warnick, I'd worry about that because that represents his winning margin. If he doesn't have those 52,000 people uh, showing up, uh, and 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 uh, and considering voting for him, he's he's got an issue. Even more problematic is there are 132,230 people who vote for Kemp for governor and Raphael Warnick for the U.S. Senate, voted for Republican, and then turn around and vote for a Democrat. Those people are how likely are they to come out? That's a real big problem if they don't come out because they represent uh, three times his victory margin. Oh and then goodness. there are 19,122 people who voted for Brian Kemp for governor. And, uh, and and left and jumped over the Senate race, didn't even bother to come out. So if I were Warnock, I'd be worried because he won by people, to 203,000 people who turned out and said, I'm voting for Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, but I can't bring myself to vote for, for Herschel Walker, the Republican Senate nominee. And if those people don't come out uh, and vote for a, a certain 120 mm-hmm. some odd thousand of them vote for, for Raphael Warnock, he's in trouble. So... And this is why this race is going to be, yeah. it's turnout, turnout, turnout. And this is why this race is going to be up and down and, and really hard to predict right up till the close of the polls on election. There's no question this race is one of the most important races of the last few years because it will determine if the U.S. Senate just doesn't walk away with every piece of legislation that comes before them. Right now, it's 50-50. And if Warnock wins... It will be 51-49. It's not 50-50. It's 50-49. No, wait a minute. It is 50-50. How could that be if it's 50 and they say they will have the majority? It's 49. It's 50-49. 50-49 Republicans or 49. It would be 
a 50-50 Senate again because that's what it is now. And that means there's a lot of legislation that's going to be tied. And, of course, a bunch of it is always going to go the Democrat way because the president of the Senate would cast a deciding vote and the president of the Senate is our vice president. If Herschel Walker wins, it will stay like it is now. So you can get some legislation passed because it's not always going to be straight party votes. Democrats don't always vote just for Democrat policies. Sometimes they get their their minds straight and they vote for some conservative ideals. There's one senator from West Virginia that wishes he had done that and stepped out and supported the opposition to that Inflation Act, that boondoggle that passed several months ago, and it is anything but an Inflation Reduction Act. In fact, it's an Inflation Increasing Act. So it is a big deal for both parties to win that Georgia election next week. Raphael Warnock is the incumbent. The incumbents always have the edge in races unless they've done something that's really, really bad. And so it's really important for turnout. If Republicans turn out like they did in the Democrat race that just happened, supporting the incumbent governor, Governor Kemp, if the turnout and vote Republican, Herschel Walker will win that race. Otherwise, it's going to be a 51-49 Senate, and they'll push pretty much everything through. The Democrats will. Herschel Walker, he's out obviously stumping for this election coming up. He said during an interview on Sirius XM's Breitbart News Saturday that Warnock is using a misleading campaign message about Herschel Walker's hometown as a way to get voters to support himself, Warnock. Walker said the message featured during a recent Warnock fundraiser in Herschel's hometown of Wrightsville, as well as in a campaign ad, misleadingly characterizes one Warnock supporter from Wrightsville as Walker's former football coach. They just had a fundraiser. Senator Warnock had a fundraiser in my hometown with the guy that said he coached me in football. The guy never coached me. He was a defensive back coach for our team, but he never coached me. Walker, that former star running back, told host Matthew Boyle. He added that the gentleman named Curtis Dixon also ran into legal trouble with the local Baptist church, which Walker indicated was a sign of Dixon's lack of credibility. The guy took funds from another church, and he had a lawsuit against him for that. So it seems like Senator Warnock wants to continue to mislead people just to win this election and lie to people just to win this election and also mistreat the church because that's what this guy did as well. Well, Dixon was first featured as one of three Annie Walker on-the-record sources in a New York Times piece published back in October that alleged a racial divide existed in Wrightsville and that Walker had been ostracized from the black community there. Several other residents of the Wrightsville area, however, strongly reject that narrative, spoke about their overwhelming support for Walker in interviews. I knew that the media was not going to be my friend, but it's not about the media that they say about me. 
It's what I'm doing to help the people, Walker said in reference to the various vicious attacks from the New York Times and other left-leaning outlets about his hometown and personal life. Come on now, you can in any place, any town, any public official, you're going to find people that are saying, this guy, he's amazing. He's incredible. I've never met anybody that's as good at what he does as this guy is. And then you'll find other people that say about the same person, oh my gosh, he's living image of Satan. He's a cheater. He's a hater. He's a thief. He's destructive. You find people that will go both ways. Walker's facing Warnock in a very competitive and a very expensive Senate runoff taking place next week. It comes after neither candidate got across that 50% threshold that's required by Georgia law to win the general election outright. Democrats have already secured 50 seats for next year. And I messed up explaining that to you a few minutes ago, but they do. They have 50. They want to get to 50-49. No, they want to get to 50-50, which will stay that way. No, they want to stay at 51-49. I need to shut up and just move on. They already have 50. They win that seat, they'll have 51, and Republicans will have 49. That's enough about that. I can't even believe I couldn't get that set in my head. I'm thinking, well, if they got 50 now, it'd be 51. Well, yeah, but then the Republicans would have only 49, which is what they have now. Elon Musk, he very seldom does this, but he's gotten into the election process. Yep. So asked on Twitter, somebody on Twitter, if he would support Ron DeSantis in 2024, Musk responded saying, yep while stressing that platform should be fair to all. And the tweet went, would you support Ron DeSantis in 2024? And he answered with one word, yes. Musk describes himself as a moderate Republican, a relatively recent development. He told followers he reluctantly backed Biden over Trump in 2020, but was disappointed with the administration. My preference for the 2024 presidency is someone sensible and centrist. I had hoped that would the case that would be the case for the Biden administration, but I've been disappointed so far. He came out as a Republican earlier this year, casting a ballot for the GOP for the first time in the special election for Texas 34th Congressional District back in June. Since he took over Twitter, He's moved quickly to restore major conservative accounts that have been banned, most notably that of former President Donald Trump. Following a recent poll of his followers on the topic, Musk announced an amnesty for all users who have previously been banned for violations other than illegal activity or egregious spam. His ambitions to restore free speech to Twitter have led to a backlash from advertisers. And you would think it would be exactly opposite of that. Over a third of the platform's major advertisers are pulling out. Leftists, including Twitter's former top censor, have also pointed to regulators in the Apple and Google app stores as potential mechanism 
to restrain free speech on the platform. Now, I know when any of us laymen, when we hear the term censor free speech and that that's okay, that's not supposed to be okay. It's the First Amendment. The right is we have free speech. We can say anything to anybody and nobody can censor us. That's true only about the government. The federal government cannot imbibe or can't uh, imbibe. I hadn't drank anything this morning. I don't know where that word came from. They can't censor you. Anybody can't censor you. Stop your speech. That's not true. The private sector can do it legally. And Twitter is a privately owned company. They can censor anybody they want to. If you don't want to be on their platform, you don't have to be on their platform. But if they don't want you on their platform, they can kick you off the platform. If they were a government entity, they could not do that. And so we all know about it. I guess we've, we've been normalized to believe that it's okay for any social media platform to censor anybody because that's what they do. Well, they do that in the private sector, and the private sector normally takes care of such things. Like what's happening now. Elon took the censor thing off and restored those accounts by those people that uh, far leftists didn't agree with and didn't want to see or hear from them. And so a third of Twitter's advertisers pulled out because of that. That's their right to make that choice. It's the right of Elon Musk to allow those people to come back posting in his social media company. Why? Because it's his. And he is not a fan of abridging anybody's free speech rights. And quite honestly, that has nothing to do with the First Amendment, but that only protects people from being abridged by their government. Some kind of really troubling news came out overnight. This one really, really shocked me because Britain is in a really bad, really bad financial situation right now. They don't have sufficient cash to run their government. And it came out overnight that they sent 50,000 pounds, excuse me, 50 million pounds in foreign aid to communist China last year. That's in spite of their previous commitment to cut off all aid to the world's second largest economy, which boasts a massive space program and nuclear arsenal. Why would why would they why would they send fifty million pounds to China? According to numbers released this week by the Foreign Office, fifty one point seven million British pounds in British taxpayer money was sent to China last year. While what exactly the money was spent on is yet to be released. The Daily Mail reports the money was likely directed towards climate change projects as well as claiming down on the clamping down on the illegal trade in wild animals. That's a practice that is still pretty pervasive in the so-called Middle Kingdom, particularly for dubious medical benefits in traditional Chinese medicine. The British government first pledged to cut aid to the communist state back in 2010 with then-International Development Secretary Andrew Mitchell 
claiming it was no longer justifiable for the UK to continue subsidizing the Asian economic powerhouse in a time of harsh austerity cuts. Last year, now that's over a decade from Mitchell's pledge, then-Foreign Secretary Dominic Robb said that as part of the move to cut foreign aid overall, taxpayer money still being sent to China would be reduced by 95% to a still arguably unacceptable number of about 900,000 pounds per year. One government spokesperson insisted that it stopped direct aid to the Chinese government in 2011. Yet the Independent Commission on Aid Impact found earlier this year such claims are misleading as they only covered about 22% of the actual aid spent on initiatives in China. Now, why is this a story? After all, you may, you may be saying, what are we talking about? That I mean, that's, that's Britain. That's not us. Well, you're right. It is Britain. It's not us. But they're an ally, and we're supposed to converse with each other when we do things as a nation, when we do things financially that can be viewed in any way to be supporting our enemies. China is our enemy. China is Britain's enemy. There's nobody. There's nobody questioning that. But yet, they sent all that money to China last year in foreign aid. Do you think if it was earmarked for climate change? Do you think China's going to do anything about climate change? No, every few weeks they open a new coal plant in China. Why would they do that? Because they don't have any options. Where the heck, where else are they going to get sufficient energy? You don't think they're going to get it? They don't have any oil and gas over there. But that wouldn't do any good for the climate change advocates. That's the same. Maybe not as bad as coal, but they can build a coal plant a couple of weeks, and they're doing it. They're not interested in climate change. Not at all. They're interested in energy. In energy, and they have no options. They have to do it. And so they're doing it. How much of that money, those British pounds that were sent to China, how much of it was used for climate change? Yeah, it was used to change the climate a little bit with another coal factory or two. That'll change the climate, spewing out some uh, some more uh, CO2. <laughs> That's what they're supposed to be after. Well, Joe Biden has messed up. And I know it's no big deal when he messes up. He messes up all the time. We never know what he's thinking he talks off the top of his head. Whatever he says typically uh, comes off a teleprompter, and he, when he gets off the teleprompter, half the time or even more than that, you don't know what the heck he's saying. But he has alienated probably the most important person in his life, and it's not Jill. Who is it? President Biden has really done it this time. His untruths have alienated his most loyal ally. Not Jill, certainly not Barack. Hunter, the smartest man he ever knew? No. I'm talking about the media. Yep. What pushed them over the edge? Was it the laptop being verified? Was it the student loan handout blowing up? 
Was it because inflation wasn't transitory? Was it because al-Qaeda is back in Afghanistan, even though the Taliban promised not to let them back in Afghanistan? Was it because the claims about the border being secure were just flat out wrong? Wait, was it because the Inflation Reduction Act actually inflated inflation? Was it because he said he didn't decrease oil production, but yet we're actually down a million barrels a day? No, 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 no. They think he lied about his granddaughter's wedding. Why? Well, last week, the White House said no press was allowed at the ceremony on the South Lawn. They have decided uh, to make this wedding private. Uh, it is a family event. It is. And we are going to respect Naomi and Peter's wishes. Exactly. But is that true? The press was shocked when a few days later they saw Naomi on the cover of Vogue in her wedding dress. There was an uproar. Who wouldn't uproar? Most of the White House press corps has been holding Biden's water for two years, and they did not get an invite. They were hurt. They started calling the president a liar, confronting the press secretary. You said from the lectern that the, um, the wedding of Naomi Biden and Peter would be a private one, yeah. uh, and that it'll be closed to the media. Yeah, I'm reading all about it and looking at pictures on the Vogue website. Could you just talk us through what happened there? So, uh, first of all, let's level set here for a second. Um, this was not a national security meeting. This was not an economic meeting. This was not uh, an economic summit. Uh, Vogue did a portrait shoot uh, on Thursday afternoon before the wedding in the green room. I love it. Can you talk us through it? Yes. Can you talk us through the Vogue shoot? So they were upset that Vogue was able to take a couple of pictures of President Biden's granddaughter a few days before a wedding. That's what made them turn on the president. Where were they when the White House officials were saying this? The economists uh, that the president has been relying on suggest that there is a transitory nature, nature to the inflation. The president has said, and you have tweeted, that allegations of wrongdoing based on files pulled from Hunter Biden's laptop are Russian disinformation. It's broadly known and widely known, Peter, that there was a broad range of Russian disinformation back in 2020. Secretary Mayorkas, do you continue to maintain that the border is secure? Yes. Right. Of course, you have to hit the button. Yes, the border's secure. Is anybody going to call out the Biden administration for all those untruths? Now the media cares more about Hunter's daughter's wedding than Hunter's laptop. They called the laptop a hoax until President Biden got into the White House. Some of them even kept up the lie through the midterms. But CBS just verified it's actually real 769 days after the New York Post said it was real. President's son will be a target for investigations. And that means data from a laptop reported to belong to Biden could be crucial to the investigatory process. CBS News has obtained its data. You're confident based on your analysis, this is Hunter Biden's data and that it's real. Yes. Forensic experts recovered images of credit cards, a driver's license, social security number. Right. All those things are on the laptop two years ago, two and a half years ago. But they could not find a forensic expert, a cyber expert to go through it. All of CBS. The media always waits until after the elections to start verifying what could actually hurt the Democrats. Remember when they told us that Trump was selling nuclear secrets from the basement in Mar-a-Lago? The Donald Trump might have thought, you know, when I leave the White House, I'm going to take everything of value, a potential monetary value that's not nailed down. I think he can steal documents. Apparently, he thought that. And those documents, if those are what the secret, what these, what these documents entail, man, there is a there is a big 
nuclear black market out there in the world. Those those secrets could be would be worth a ton of money if the president wanted to try to monetize them. Exactly. Well, now after the midterms, the Washington Post admits that's not true. Trump was just keeping records as mementos, kind of like trophies, like the Kim Jong-un letter, like a cocktail napkin or a, <laughs> or a dinner menu from the White House. What else did we find out after the midterms? The New York Times says the FBI had dozens of informants at the Capitol riots on January 6th. Hold the phone. And none of them in the FBI tried to stop it. And if they knew this was coming because they were with the Proud Boys or QAnon or whatever, why did they not alert the National Guard or Capitol Police and avoid the whole unrest? Another post-midterm surprise. Biden's plan to forgive student loans for millions of people was frozen out by a judge because it turns out it's unlawful. Against the law. Did you think all those young people who voted a little di- would have voted a little differently if they knew they were not getting their loan forgiven by the president? I would think so. And one of the biggest stories that came out after the ballots were cast, the Democrats' second biggest donor, Sam Bankman-Fried, was a complete fraud who stole billions of dollars from investors and, brought the se- and really bought the Senate for the Democrats, with- which now turns out to be dirty cash. This before the midterms. They told us he was the... Next, J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan of this generation, Sam Bankman-Fried. We talk about him a lot, yeah. Sam Bankman-Fried. Free. Is he the Jay Gould of our era, or is he the J.P. Morgan of our era? I think Is he Vanderbilt? He could be. Is he Harriman? Possibly. Is he the Credit Mobiliere scandal? Is he Carnegie? Or is he the Bernie Madoff or Al Capone? What else is the media hiding from us? What are we going to find out now that the election's over? What do we not know? (laughs) Isn't it amazing? It's not amazing to me that all this stuff comes out. That's what the media are there for, to put all this stuff out there. But isn't it amazing that time after time after time, this stuff happens, and we're shocked. We're shocked that... Joe Biden and all of his minions, they maintain from the beginning that this inflation is transitory. And then we find out it wasn't transitory. Do you understand what happens in White House politics? Every administration, almost without exception, whatever they're saying, it's not true. When they say something negative about their opposition, anybody in their opposition, it's almost always not true. In fact, when they start epping up on it, I mean really amping it up, getting louder and louder and louder about it, look at who they're blaming for what they're screaming about. They're not doing what the Democrats are claiming they're doing. The Democrats are doing it, but they don't want you to look at them They want you to start looking at their opposition and find out what that person or persons has been doing. They've learned through the years that voters are so gullible, they'll do it every time. And I can give you instance after instance where that's happening. I've told you on the show many, many, many times when they scream and holler about somebody and they're waving their right hand in the air and saying, he's evil. She's evil. They're doing this. They're doing that. What's really going on is in their other hand behind their back. They're doing it themselves. 
That's a ploy in politics. It's kind of like the last-ditch effort, way to deflect attention to whatever you're doing, is you blame somebody else, and you're very convincing when you blame them. That's what we're living in now, folks. That's where we are in politics. We have a bunch of circus people in Washington, D.C. that are running our government. Joe Biden says whatever he thinks of off the top of his head, and every week, every time he's in public talking to anybody, the White House has to come back and clarify the things that he said were nothing but bald-faced lies. The lies usually, almost always, are purposeful. In Joe Biden's case, sometimes it's because he thinks what he says is true. You know, forget about that. He's qualified to be president of the United States. And uh, until and unless somebody that's better than him hits the stage between now and 24, oh, well, they're going to push him out there and get him to go after, they hope, Donald Trump one more time. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize... Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger, the Flame Fresh Taste. Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame-broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, yeah there it is. Yeah, there it is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger with double the Flame Fresh Taste. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN. Couldn't there be just one easy day that we live through where we don't have to worry about what our leaders say, whatever they tell us, we're just going to believe it because we trust them? Boy, I haven't seen that in my lifetime, at least not in politics. I just wish we could find it. But you know what we do instead? We give them more power. We give them more opportunities to take advantage of us and to do things that uh, they really don't have any authority to do unless we don't hold them accountable for doing it and it's something in their favor they want to do. They just go do it. What's that old adage? It's easier to ask for forgiveness 
than it is to ask for permission. I guess that's the way the government runs. There's a brand new law. Let me tell you, this is stupid. It's being seriously considered by lawmakers in New York City. Listen to what it'll do. It'll strip landlords of the ability to perform criminal background checks on prospective tenants. This is not a lie. It's happening. This legislation is known as the Fair Chance for Housing Act. It's set to go before the New York City Council's Committee on Civil Rights December the 8th. It's being backed by at least 30 of the council's 51 members. In addition to being supported by a big number of lawmakers around town, New York City Mayor Eric Adams has suggested he's open to working with lawmakers on this. Now, this is mind-boggling to me. Eric Adams is a cop. He was in management. I forget what his title was when he was in the New York police force, but he faces this kind of stuff throughout his career. No one should be denied housing because they were once engaged with the criminal justice system, plain and simple, a spokesperson for the mayor's office said. We will work closely with our partners in the city council to ensure this bill has maximum intended impact. The bill has been criticized by some, including a Republican councilwoman named Ina Vernikov, who posted on Twitter that the safety of families is at stake a bill which would prohibit landlords from conducting criminal background checks of their potential tenants, she said, murdered someone, beat up your girlfriend, robbed, stabbed your neighbor, no problem, come live in our building. Today is supposed to be a day of gratitude, not attacking. Manhattan Democrat Councilman Keith Powers responded to Vernikoff's Thanksgiving Eve post, We don't believe in second chances anymore. Vernikov responded by asking if Powers would be willing to rent a floor of your home to someone who has a long rap sheet and history of burglarizing homes or assaulting people. I'm not saying not to give them second chances, but your bill wouldn't even allow us to see rap sheets. Powers responded by telling Vernikov it doesn't appear to him that she is looking for a real conversation on this. It would not apply to the New York City Housing Authority complexes who would still be required by federal law to require background done and does also not apply to homeowners renting out single rooms. Crime rates in New York City have surged in recent years, including a spike this summer that saw overall crisis at 31%. I can't believe any politician, any leader, Eric Adams, he's okay with this. Now put this in perspective. Let's just say you were leasing an up, real, real upstaged, um, room in a high-rise, a very exclusive high-rise in New York City. And you had three very attractive young daughters. Or maybe you had three very good-looking young men. 
and you're on a floor and you know that there are probably eight or 10 other neighbors that are in adjoining uh, properties around this floor in this high rise building because you're paying a bunch of money to be there. You think, uh, you know, I'm going to be safe. This is New York city. You got to be very careful where you are going and who you're around and what time of day you do it and how you're dressed, all those kind of things. You sure don't want to have to worry about what your neighbors think about your good looking young daughters or young men. Wouldn't it be nice to know if there's not a convicted sex pervert living next door or across the hall from you with these good looking children? Don't you think your landlord should be able to do that? And wouldn't it be a great disclaimer for every landlord in New York to make it clear when somebody's looking at a property to lease or buy that they should be required to give that information if someone has been convicted as a criminal in any capacity, but especially in sex trafficking. I don't know why in the heck these lawmakers would even try to do this. It makes absolutely no sense. It's nothing about second chances. You don't want your child to be the perfect person that's involved in this person messing up and blowing off their second chance opportunity with your child or with your wife or with your husband. It just makes no sense. Now, if you think that one's bad enough, a dean at the University of Cambridge in the UK came to the defense of a junior research fellow who gave a sermon last Sunday about Jesus Christ having a trans body, reportedly left outraged congregants in tears as they left the church. Dr. Michael Banner, the dean of Trinity College, said Joshua Heath raised legitimate speculation is in his Evensong sermon during which the researcher claimed from the pulpit of Trinity College Chapel non-erotic portrayals of Jesus's penis in historical paintings urge a welcoming rather than hostile response towards the raised voices of trans people. In Christ simultaneously masculine and feminine body in these works if the body of Christ, as these works suggest, the body of all bodies, then his body is also the trans body, Heath said. Heath has a doctorate in theology. He was supervised by former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, also claimed that in one of the medieval paintings, paintings he displayed to the congregation, the spear wound in the side of Jesus takes on a decidedly vaginal appearance. In another, he pointed out how the blood from his side flows to his groin. Heath's homily during the traditional Anglican service left many in attendance, including children, visibly uncomfortable. Shouts of heresy reportedly rang out in the church as incensed worshipers left in disgust. I left the service in tears. One churchgoer wrote to the dean, you offered to speak with me afterwards, but I was too distressed. 
I am contemptuous of the idea that by cutting a hole in a man through which he can be penetrated, he can become a woman. I am especially contemptuous of such imagery when it is applied to our Lord from the pulpit at Evensong. I am contemptuous of the notion that we should be invited to contemplate the martyrdom of a trans Christ, a new heresy for our age. I mean, that that was pretty right on. In Banner's response to that letter, which was seen by the Daily Telegraph, the dean defended Heath, claiming his sermon suggested that we might think about these images of Christ's male-slash-female body as providing us with ways of thinking about issues around transgender questions today. For myself, I think that speculation was legitimate. Whether or not you or I or anyone else disagrees with the interpretation, it says something else about artistic tradition or resists its application to contemporary questions around transsexualism. The dean added that he would not issue an invitation to someone who I thought would deliberately seek to shock or offend a congregation or could be expected to speak against the Christian faith. The college would like to make clear the following. This is from a Trinity College person. Neither the dean of Trinity College nor the researcher giving the sermon suggested Jesus was transgender. The sermon addresses the image of Christ depicted in art and various interpretations of those artistic portrayals. The sermon's exploration of the nature of religious art in the spirit of thought-provoking academic inquiry was in keeping with open debate and dialogue at the University of Cambridge. In other words, that's the disclaimer you see right before a local television station runs a church service where they say, the following program does not reflect the opinions of the people that work in this television station. They didn't give that disclaimer before the sermon. But I got to be honest with you. I cannot. I just cannot believe in a church, a Christian evangelical church, that such a sermon would be preached. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well... Crypto and what's happening in crypto world right now. I don't know if you're in cryptocurrency at all. I am. Uh, Not to a great degree, but I am. In fact, I'm trying to firm up a conversation with somebody that is the biggest owner of Bitcoin on the earth, Dunstan Teo. He's been on this show two or three times with us. Trying to cement him appearing here on the show that we can talk about this latest big, great, I mean, it's its a its a black mark on the crypto world that is happening. It's underway still. It's already started, but it's, it's, it's happening still. Trying to firm up him being on the show with us on Wednesday. Tuesday, we have our, our normal weekly interlude with um, Steve Baker, still live from Washington, D.C. in the trial, waiting for that jury to come in of the Oath Keepers trial. And also tomorrow, we have a revisit from Dr. Eric Naputi. He's the doctor from Missouri that was blasted to the tune of $500 billion by the federal government, the FDA, because he was prescribing 
prescription vitamin D and other natural ingredients for people to use to fight COVID-19. And a new research, a, a very elaborate research program was released last week that exonerates him. So he's coming back on the show to tell us how this is going to play out. He'll be here Tuesday at 9.30, followed by Steve Baker. Cryptocurrency, that's up next. We've got some information to tell you about, kind of giving you uh, familiar with what's going on without all of the gory details. We'll let uh, Dunstan do that next week. Classical conservatism, contemporary style. TNN, the Truth News Network. playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. things happen on this show, at least today, we had a technical glitch. You just heard part of it speaking from behind on a story that we were about to talk to you about, and I'm going to go back and grab it real quick because we lost an entire file just as that was happening. I can't believe this kind of stuff keeps happening. It's Monday. We're supposed to be clear and have everything kind of clean. Let me go find that story. By the way, we've got news on uh, Herschel Walker that just came out a few minutes ago. Uh, I was looking during the break at it. Let's 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 take a listen. I I, I want you to uh, hear about this crypto collapse and a little more about it because I got to be honest with you. You may not be in, into uh, cryptocurrency now, but we're all going to be there because our federal government is in the process of taking us there. So Herschel Walker is the subject of this new story I'm going to tell you about. But first, 
Let's look into what's going on. The crypto collapse. It has all the hallmarks of a classic banking crisis. It's got runs and fire sales and contagion. What it doesn't have are banks. It's what you got to understand about cryptocurrency. Banks are not necessary any longer. If you look at the bankruptcy filings of crypto platform Voyager Digital Holdings Incorporated, Celsius Network LLC, and FTX Trading Limited, and Hedge Fund Three Arrows Capital, and you won't find any banks listed among their creditors. Bankruptcy filings aren't entirely clear sometimes. They describe many of the biggest creditors as customers or other crypto-related companies. Crypto companies, in other words, operate in a closed loop, deeply interconnected within that loop, but with very few apparent connections of significance to traditional finance or banks. We know what they are. This explains how an asset class once worth roughly $3 trillion could lose 72% of its value and prominent intermediaries could go busted with no discernible spillovers to the financial system. Crypto space is largely circular. That comes from Yale University economist Gary Gorton and University of Michigan law professor Jeffrey Zhang. Once crypto banks obtain deposits from investors, these firms borrow, lend, and trade with themselves. They do not interact with firms connected to the real economy. A few th- years from now, things might have been different, given the intensifying pressure on regulators and bankers to embrace crypto. Joe Biden's put out an executive order that includes the federal government starting crypto to replace the dollar. The crypto meltdown may have prevented that and a much wider crisis. Crypto has long been marked as an unregulated, anonymous, frictionless, more accessible alternative to traditional banks and currency. But its mushrooming ecosystem looks a lot like the banking system, accepting deposits and making loans. Gorton and Zhang write, crypto lending platforms recreated banking all over again. If an entity engages in borrowing and lending, it is economically equivalent to a bank, even if it's not labeled as one. And just like the banking system, crypto is leveraged and interconnected, and thus it's vulnerable to debilitating runs and contagion. This year's crisis began in May when Terra USD, which is a supposed to be stable coin. Stable coin is a cryptocurrency that aimed to sustain a constant value against the dollar. It collapsed as investors lost faith in its backing asset, a token called Luna. Rumors that Celsius had lost money on Terra and Luna led to a run on its deposit. And in July, Celsius filed for bankruptcy. Three arrows. Another crypto hedge fund that has invested in Luna had to liquidate. Losses on a loan to three arrows and contagion from Celsius forced Voyager 
into bankruptcy protection. Meanwhile, FTX's trading affiliate Alameda Research and Voyager lent to each other, and Alameda and Celsius also had exposures to each other. But it was the linkage between FTX and Alameda that were the two companies undoing. Like many platforms, FTX issued its own cryptocurrency, FTT. After this was revealed to be Alameda's main asset, Binance, another major platform, said it would dump its own FTT holdings, setting off the run that triggered FTX's collapse. By the way, I own Binance coins. That's just for a point of clarification. Genesis Global Capital, another crypto lender, had exposure to both Three Arrows and Alameda. It has suspending withdrawals and sought out cash in the wake of FTX's demise. BlockFi, another crypto lender with exposure to FTX and Alameda, is preparing a bankruptcy filing. The density of connections between these players is illustrated pretty pretty elaborately with a sprawling diagram in an, an October report by the Financial Stability Oversight Committee, which brings together federal financial regulations. Now, what does this all boil down to? Cryptocurrency basically has no banking regulations because it typically, it all is personal. In other words, you don't use banks. If one crypto entity or individual wants to lend money to another crypto entity, they don't have to deal with the bank. Now, they would tell you they also don't have the protections of the regulators for banks. And so they are looking at some exposure if they do borrow or lend from these particular cryptocurrency exchanges. That's all true. And what you're, the story that you just heard is, in my opinion, is a push, an all-out push for the federal government to step in and force the federal government to be allowed to regulate cryptocurrency in the United States. You watch what happens in the upcoming months. They will use the FTX failure and what it's done. They will use that as evidence that Uncle Sam needs to step in and take over the regulation of cryptocurrency. That would be the downfall of what's probably the most successful and honest way to transact economically, cryptocurrency. It's when you have people that get into it and they want to market and use it in an illegal fashion to take advantage of other people in a quick, large way to do just that. And that's exactly what FTX has done. Now, are there a lot of civil opportunities to sue in this? Absolutely. But the people you're going to sue, they have nothing because they lost their value in their asset almost overnight. And it's gone, so they have no asset for you to go after in a bankruptcy proceeding. Now, could you do some other type of uh, lawsuit looking for something other than hard assets to go after. Yeah, you could, but there's no proof 
There's no real opportunity there that there's anything there to go after. So you're going to lose it. I told you there's Herschel Walker news. He faces fresh questions today about his status in Georgia. Reports claimed he listed Texas as his main residence in order to claim tax breaks. He's locked in that tight Senate contest with Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock. A complaint alleges his tax status may make it illegal to vote in Georgia. However, election law only requires senators to be residents when elected. Early voting in Atlanta Senate runoff began on Saturday, and of course that race begins and ends on the 9th. Or is it the 6th? My mind has been so confused on uh, details. It's next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow, is the runoff election between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Thank you for being here today and for forgiving me. I have been kind of off target, way more off target than I normally am. (laughs) And I ask for forgiveness. I, I told you earlier, it's always easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. You guys have a great day. Don't forget tomorrow, Dr. Eric Naputi. Also, our buddy in Washington, D.C., bringing us all the latest on the Oath Keepers trial, Steve Baker. Dr. Naputi at 9.30, Baker at 10 o'clock. I'll see you then. You don't have to say a word I can see it in your eyes I know what you want to say It's so hard to say goodbye I can hold back my tears And try to be strong While our love is falling If you walk away But what do I do What do I do With my heart I'm not gonna say a word I know I can't change Stand in your way If you need to make a new start But I still want to know When my arms let you go What do I do? What do I do with my heart?